0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Total Sports Talk on podcast. Uh, I'm Anthony. I've been a fan of the National Football League since 1984. Saw my first game actually in 83 when the Patriots played the Rams in Anaheim. Um, And then in 84, I saw the Rams play again on TV, and that became my favorite team. Um, And that's really when I started following football. Um, I've been a coach for 15 years. This is going to be my 16th year coaching, my second year as a head coach going into this upcoming football season next year. Um, so a lot of a lot of time following the game, being a part of the game. I played football for 10 years from the age of 8 to the age of 18, multitude of positions, running back, defensive end, linebacker. Um, You know, even played a little bit of guard or tackle, I should say. So, been kind of all over the map um, in experience. Now, I mention all this because I think it's important that you guys follow me on podcast know a little bit about me. So, it's not just that I've been a fan of the game, though, guys. Studying it. Um, While other guys were studying Walter Payton and Jerry Rice... I was studying Joe Gibbs. Um, I was studying Bill Parcells, Mike Dicka, John Robinson. Um, Those were the guys that I followed the careers of. I loved Eric Dickerson, don't get me wrong. Was a huge Eric Dickerson fan as a kid. Um, Jim Everett, Henry Ellard. I mean, I could name all the guys from the the Rams in the 80s and even in the 90s. But I followed the coaches um, a lot. Now, I mentioned all that because today's show is about the Rams and Ravens game and solely about the Rams and Ravens game. Now, there's a lot to talk about here and there's going to be a lot to unpack. So sit back, relax, and get ready. Okay, so first and foremost, I had said on the YouTube show the other day that this is not going to be a game that I want people to... Um, judge the offensive line on. The, The Rams offensive line was going up against a really emotionally charged defense that's feeling really confident, that has a lot of exotic packages, and the Ravens historically are a great defense, and while history doesn't necessarily make your defense good... It does make your defense play at a higher level because there's something about the uniform and the history when you put that uniform on. Take a look at the Chicago Bears, right? Anytime they have a great linebacker, their, their defensive play improves dramatically. But the Bears are not as complex as Baltimore. Baltimore's more of a Muhammad Ali, you know, hit and jab and move and try to get you to make a mistake. And, and hit you with a lot of exotic looks and then bombard you with speed and overpower you. The Chicago Bears are more like Mike Tyson. They're just going to punch you in the face until you get knocked out. That's, that's my comparison of the two defenses. So it's a very different game plan going in. The real measuring stick for this Rams offensive line was the Chicago game, the Arizona game, and then for me, the final measurement will be against... Um, Dallas and maybe San Francisco. San Francisco runs some complexities too, but I don't know if if how they're going to do against the 49ers because, to be honest with you, they may just be better than the Rams right now on that side of the ball than the Rams are on the offensive line. And we might need some film and some training to get them at least to meet them. Although the shoddy offensive line we had last time, as bad as it was, it held up and didn't let the 49ers necessarily run them over, so I'm optimistic with that game. 20-7 um, to 7 wasn't so bad, especially when you see the Green Bay score. Now, back to the line. So with this game, it, throw it out the window. This is a, this is a non-factor, this is a burn-the-tape situation because, to be honest with you, there's just nothing that's going to be pulled from this game that's usable. So you burn the film. I'm curious to see how they bounce back on the Sunday of Thanksgiving, which is this week coming up against the Cardinals, a team that, in theory, they should beat. So, on my podcast, I said the Rams would lose this game 41-10. to And a lot of people gave me criticism and gave me heat. And I want to explain a couple things here. The reason I said 41-10 to wasn't because... I've given up on the Rams and, you know, I don't evaluate what their ability is. It's the opposite. And if I'm anything, I'm honest and I'm what you would call a um, realistic Ram fan. I don't live in the clouds. Just because we beat Chicago 17-7 didn't mean we measured up well against the Baltimore Ravens. This team is starting to feel a lot like the Rams of the 80s. Good enough to win the playoffs. Talented enough to beat some good teams, but not good enough to win in the playoffs. Um, but then again, this year, I don't even think they're making the playoffs. I don't think 10-6 and six gets us in, guys. And you know there's at least one more ball coming up. I think 10-6 and six is best-case scenario for the Rams. I think 8-8, eight eight, that is probably realistic in our life. Although I wouldn't be surprised with 7-9. Now, for those Ram fans that want to hate on Sean McVay... You have plenty of material and you have plenty of reason to, but I want to remind some people. Bill Belichick in Cleveland went 7-9 and nine for two straight years with Cleveland. He had guys like Eric Metcalf, Clay Matthews, Hanford Dixon. Um, he didn't have Ozzie Newsome, but he had Bernie Kosar. He had a line that had led Cleveland to three, straight, or three championship games in four years in the 80s. He didn't have a dismantled program. So... To sit there and and want this guy to be fired after one bad season, in my opinion, is not only disingenuous, but it's unrealistic. Go see Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs went seven and nine and eighty-seven the year after they went to the Super Bowl um, and beat the Denver Broncos 42 to 10. You don't fire a coach after a bad season. Hell, it took Joe Gibbs two years to make the playoffs. 88 he went seven and nine and eighty-nine he went 10 and six and didn't even make it before 90's wild card birth. And even then, they didn't look good against San Francisco in the in the divisional round after beating Philly in the wild card. And they looked like they were farther away than one year. But the next year, they, they won the Super Bowl. You have to let coaching work itself out. You're going to have bumps and bruises. I personally believe this is exactly what the doctor ordered. This guy needed to get punched in the mouth. He needed to get a bloodied mouth. Because flying high after 17's 11 and 5 season and then it got even better last year in 2018 leading the team to the super bowl this guy was on cloud nine and was believing the hype and he need to get punched in the mouth so he can go back to work i'm not going to say the lab that's such a stupid cliche he needs to go back to work that's what he needs to do no laboratory experiments no try go back to work Figure out what your identity is as an offense, stick to it, and don't let the other team dictate your game plan. That's what he's got to do next year. Now, as far as Baltimore goes, and I'm sorry that it took me almost eight minutes to get into this, but look, I've been highly critical of of uh, Action Jackson, um, and I'll remain... Um, by my position of you need to wait three years before you can quarterback great or you can, you know, check that box of being a bust. That's the reason after his rookie year, despite everyone telling us that we were, you know, not to believe our, our, our truthful eyes and believe their lying eyes, that he was some great quarterback and look at what a difference he makes for the Baltimore offense. We knew last year he didn't look good and that Baltimore was winning in spite of Lamar Jackson. This year, there is no question that the Ravens are winning because of Lamar Jackson. And that's a credit to him. It's a credit to the coaches. It's a credit to the organization. Because you got to do a lot of work when you want to avoid that bust label. And trust me, the Ravens put in a lot of work to get where they are. Now, I'm not going to go as far as call this offense gimmicky. Um, I am going to call this offense temporary. And what I mean by that is this. You can do this with Lamar Jackson for his first three years. And, and I would consider this the first of his three years, even though he's a second-year player. But eventually, the tire on that tread is going to wear, and that tire is going to blow. And you're going to need to find a replacement. And I don't know that you'll find a replacement for Lamar Jackson. Now, I do think that this is going to open up the eyes of a lot of coaches in the NFL to start looking at college quarterbacks a little bit differently. And in that respect, regardless of Lamar Jackson's career's longevity, short-term outlook, numbers, or performance, you have to consider him a transitional player who's changed the game. Because no one is going to look at at quarterback the same way, especially when they're an athlete, who can run like the Dickens they are no longer going to be afraid of a three-year window. They're going to go, yeah, but in three years, if we've got the right team, holy crap, we can build a championship. And even if we're not, we can make a playoff run and really, you know, get some publicity. That's what people are looking at. Um, There's always the other aspect of the NFL that I won't get into. um, But the NFL certainly seems to be going this way because it's quote-unquote exciting um Lamar Jackson is having a hell of a year, and to be honest with you, he should be the NFL MVP. I'm not too proud to admit when my criticism is harsh, but I'm not gonna say that I was wrong because I never labeled him a bust because of my three-year vision. You cannot judge a quarterback until year three of his career of his of his career is done. You just can't do it because there's too many things and factors that come into play your rookie year. Your second year, you're still kind of drinking from a fire hose, but you've had another year underneath with that system. By year three, you should have mastered the system, right? It's like being a junior in college, junior in high school. You, you kind of got things figured out and you feel pretty good. And going into your fourth year, you are the man that you are. And in football sense, you are the player that you're going to be. So, I think it's only fair to judge a person. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have setbacks. Um, but that doesn't then mean that you're, you've all of a sudden become a bust again. Once you've avoided that label, you've avoided that label. And it's pure laziness by ESPN and these other sports and analysts to turn around and pull that trigger. And unlike ESPN, I'm not too proud to admit when I was wrong. I had said in the beginning of this year that Lamar Jackson was basically garbage um, and I didn't give him credit after the Dolphins game because we knew the Dolphins were a bad football team And but I started giving him credit towards you know, the last few weeks when he beat New England that opened my eyes a lot um, his performance against Kansas City was good but not great but when you compile that with his other performances on top of the New England performance yeah I was wrong to give him that distinction at the start of the season. He's obviously a better player than that and deserves to be the MVP. So all the credit in the world goes to Baltimore. Now I should have mentioned at the beginning of the show that I'm a big Redskins and Browns fan too. So for me to be given Ravens praise is, is, is like tearing my heart out of my chest and stomping on it in front of me. It's painful and it's hard to watch or in this case, hard to listen to. Um, I hate the Ravens. I'll always hate the Ravens because they're not the Ravens. They're my beloved Cleveland Browns that left town and took our Super Bowl and our pride somewhere else, leaving us with this monstrosity that is in Cleveland today. Anyway, I digress. Um, That all being said, I think it's really, really important for Ram fans to take a step back and go to quote Aaron Rodgers, R-E-L-A-X. This season is gone. It's not meaning you blow the whole thing up and you start all over again. There's too many pieces. If this line is as good as I think it is, and right now it's just a thought, and I know what you're thinking, well, Anthony, didn't you watch the game? Our line was horrible. Again, throw the Baltimore game out the window. That defense is a different animal than what we're going to see the rest of the year, and it's a different animal than what we saw in Chicago. And for two guys who are basically rookies, or they are rookies, <coughs> to be thrown in and in one week expected to figure that out is not only a monumental task, but an unrealistic one. Arizona is going to be a good measuring stick. They've got some players now. Sorrell Suggs, uh, Chandler, they got some good linebackers and Buda Baker. Um, that'll be a good measuring stick. We'll see how they do. But if that line is as good as I think it is on the right side, then you find yourself a free agent, you know, left guard, you move note boom to left tackle because I do believe Andrew Whitworth is going to retire. And if he doesn't retire, then I still think you go spend the money on a free agent left guard and you move Noteboom to back up left tackle and you give him that time to train at that position so when Whitworth does step away, he's ready to step right back in and he has some experience under his belt. Plus, it gives the injury more time to heal. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. Um, Less wear and tear could always be better. As far as, you know... Todd Gurley goes there was a lot of blown things on Todd Gurley's part he he started running disinterested again and he reminds me of a player that I've coached and even a player that I'm currently coaching I had two players that were kind of the same way when things are going good they're a great teammate they're a great player and you're happy to have them on your team but when things are going bad they bury their head in the sand like a flamingo I think that's a flamingo maybe that's an ostrich I don't even think that's an ostrich. Whatever bird buries its head in the sand um, and they kind of go into a shell and they become one of the more difficult teammates and a really difficult player that, to the point where you can't even put them on the field because they're just mentally gone. They've, they've quit. <coughs> Todd Gurley. <clears throat> Todd Gurley reminds me of that a little bit. Now, unlike the kid that, I, that I'm that i coaching and the kids that I've coached, you can coach that out of them. I don't think you can coach it out of Todd Gurley. He's, he's a grown man. This is who he is. Um, And he hasn't had to deal with a lot of adversity. Um, I know his first year in L.A. was actually in St. Louis. But he had a lot to prove and a chip on his shoulder. And then, you know, the next year, you know, the Rams didn't have much help. So you didn't really notice it too much because he was getting killed behind the line. And he was still, what, a second-year player? So you're kind of forgiving him on some of his mental breakdowns. But now you're noticing. Like, now it's, like, noticeable because he's been in the league for over 3 years. He is the man that he's going to be as I said before about quarterbacks in their 3rd year. So, I think that that's I think that's an important thing to look out for and there's a lot of money dumped in Gurley and I don't know that Gurley will be in the final plans for the Rams once, you know, not once, but once they make their real strong push to to get back to a Super Bowl as early as next year. I I mean, I'm just being honest. I could see it not necessarily a trade, but maybe a trade. I don't think they'll cut him, but I do think they may trade him if if they can find the right price. But they need him to produce in these last few games of the regular season to show that he's recovered from whatever was ailing him in the postseason last year. As far as Josh Reynolds, I still love that kid. He still fights for every yard when he's in there, and I think that kid needs to be a bigger part of the offense. Um, I keep saying, um. Look, as far as the Rams receivers go, we know how good they are, but they're not. I'm, I'm going to pump the brakes here on something because I hear a lot of people talking about how great the Rams are. But every time the Ram receivers go up against a great corner, they're absent. They're noticeably absent. Um, There I go again. You know, Robert Woods looks great when he's being covered by, you know, not Sherman for the 49ers, when he's not being covered by Marcus Peters of Baltimore. You know, Cooper Cup looks great as a slot receiver because he's getting the nickel corner every time. But as soon as you put somebody like Marcus Peters on him, like they did at the goal line... He's nowhere to be found. The Rams receivers are really good. And that is all. They are not great. They are not game changers. They are really good. And the nice thing about it is there's three really good receivers. But Brandon Cooks is not going to beat a Marcus Peters. He's not Michael Thomas. You know, and I'll get to Marcus Peters at the end of this show. But we need to start looking at our receivers a little more honestly and go, well, our receivers are great. The quarterback just can't get him the ball. No, our quarterback can't get him the ball because they're not getting open. I mean, Cooper Cup, use your hands instead of trying to use your feet and your and your body lean. You, somebody needs to get that man's somebody needs to get that man Jerry Rice's phone number because no one was better with his hands at the line of scrimmage than Jerry Rice. That's why he's the greatest football player to have ever lived and the greatest wide receiver in NFL history. So, somebody get him that man's number, please. Um, As far as, you know, Brandon Cooks goes, he's a great speedster. He can outrun people. But there are some defenses he can't run, and then the top is put on... The lid is put on top of that. You know, game plan, and there's nothing you can do about it. You're basically using him as a decoy and focusing on the underneath stuff with Robert Woods and, and Cooper Cup. Now to the elephant in the room. Well, before I get to the elephant in the room, let me get to quarterback. I I like Jared Goff. Um, again, you know, he avoided that bust label, so you don't get to turn around and go back and call him a bust. So to you Ram fans that don't like Jared Goff, I want you to do me a solid, okay? And you don't owe me anything, okay? But if you're a fan of my show and you've been following me, I want you to do me a favor, I want you to find, and it is on YouTube, I want you to find the 1986 Monday night game between the San Francisco 49ers and the Washington Redskins. It's a tough watch, but I want you to go back and watch it. I want you to go back and watch the 1986 NFC Divisional Playoff game against the Giants. It's a tough watch, but again, go watch it. And the third game that I want you to watch, and I'm only going to have you watch three, okay? I'll give you a fourth one if you want one more. It'll be a bonus one. I want you to watch the Week 11 1988 game between the 49ers and the Raiders. And then lastly, I want you to go back and watch. This is your bonus one. This is your bonus one. I want you to go back and watch the 1987 NFC Divisional Playoff game when the 13-2 49ers took on the 8-7 and seven um, Minnesota Vikings. Or maybe they were 9-6. One of the two. They weren't very good. I want you to go back and watch those games and tell me that Joe Montana was trash and the 49ers should have turned around and gotten rid of him. Because those are some of his worst performances in the 80s. And I'm not even counting the 82 season. I want you to go back and I want you to tell me that Joe Montana was poop on a shingle. Because you're not going to because you know what Joe Montana turned into. What is the point of it? The point is to go see Hall of Fame quarterback struggling when the line had gotten his teeth kicked in over a period of time. 1986 was the year after 85 obviously. 85 Joe Montana got his got beat up. In 1986 he got beat up again and even got injured. Okay? Then he came back from injury, and he didn't look good. In 87, they were 13-2, and two, but a little bit of pressure by the Vikings in the first quarter, and he reverted back to his old ways. It took him until 89, to really the 88 playoffs, to really get out of his funk. And he was in a three-year funk. His funk was so bad that in 88, they benched him when he was healthy, For Steve Young. So. It's. Understandable. With how much he's been beaten up. That he's looked the way he's looked this year. And. Yes. The 86 season. That's a whole season of Joe Montana. Look. You're delusional if you don't think that that Jared Goff has played well at times this year. Because it's just obviously factually wrong. But there are times that Jared Goff has looked. Pedestrian. And last night. Was exhibit A. Um. I don't know what else to say about it. it. It is what it is, and that's what it is. But I'm not going to go ahead and call this guy a bust. I, he, he earned the right to avoid that label after last year's performance. And when you have a game like he did in the nineteen, in the nineteen, in the 2018 NFC Championship game, I'm sorry, you sound ignorant when you hate on Jared Goff. You want Blake? Bortles? You tell me in the NFL right now that's available. That's better than Jared Goff. And if you tell me, Cam Newton, you can miss me with that nonsense. And of course, there's going to be that one Ram fan that's out there that's like, oh, Mitchell Trubisky's even better than Jared Goff. Again, I can't have a conversation with you. If you're going to be that stubborn about your position. Because you know you're wrong, but you just don't like the guy and you want him out. But as somebody who has seen Tony Banks, someone who has seen, you know, Chris Miller and Chris Chandler and... Mark Rippon, and God, I'm trying to think of them all. You know, Sam Bradford. Uh, God, Sean Mannion. Case Keenum. Stop. You don't know what you're talking about. I know bad quarterback play. And you should too. Now, if you're a recent Ram fan and you've only been following them since golf, then you have nothing to measure the team by. And maybe you need to go back and look at some of those leaner years It was really tough to be a Ram fan when you were absent. Because I'll tell you, it wasn't easy in 2016 their first year back in L.A. And as bad as that year was, this team is so much better than that. So I'm optimistic that we can pull out another three wins somewhere. Four would be probably the what I think is the high watermark. 10 would be amazing and ideal, but probably not going to happen. Now to the elephant in the room. Our defense. Corey Littleton had a bad game. Um, Abiquam is a a nice player. I think he's more of a depth guy. I think he's a guy that you bring in and you play him as a backup when your starter gets injured. I, I don't think he's a starter and he's proven that um week in and week out. Now, I know he had a strong year last year, so that criticism is unfair, and I do want to wait and see what happens with his, with, you know, not with his career, but in the next couple of years, if the Rams keep him in that position to see if this is where his eventual spot will be on the roster. Clay Matthews, um, welcome to the NFL <laughs> in a Ram uniform against a real opponent. Um... It's a little bit different when you have to go up against somebody with a talented quarterback, isn't it? Um, Your age is showing. And I I don't know how long you're going to be in a Ram uniform, but I can't imagine it's going to be more than two years. To Eric Weddle, uh, all I can say to that is I was right. Uh, The man is a statue in a uniform. He is a liability Times two LaMarcus joiners. How many interceptions does Eric Weddle have this year? How many pass deflections? He had one nice play where he, where he caused a fumble, but they didn't rule it a fumble because, you know, why would they? Um, even though that was a fumble. He caught the ball. His football move was turning upfield and taking two steps. Um. They seem to have forgotten that part of the rule. The rule is three three steps or two steps in a football move. Um, yeah, forgot to mention that when you were talking about why it wasn't a fumble, didn't you there, whoever the NFL referee is for the Monday Night Crew? He made a football move, and then he took two steps, and then Weddle stripped him the ball. But, you know, it is what it is. They're not going to turn around and, and and change it now. But that was a nice play. And then that was it. The man can't keep up with the fourth wide receiver of the Baltimore Ravens. He doesn't know how to get his defense in position because he doesn't know the defense because he's never run this defense before. And a safety isn't a player that you plug and play. As far as corners go, Ty Hill is trash. I've been saying that. You can say he's a nice player. Yeah, he looked really nice against the Bears. Who friggin' doesn't? Ty Hill is garbage, period. But, you know, we don't have keep to lead, so that's going to be exposed in the upcoming weeks. Um, what can I say about Jalen Ramsey? Jalen Ramsey plays really good against inferior opponents. That's been his MO his entire career. The Steelers, inferior. The Bears, inferior. Atlanta, Inferior. Baltimore, they don't have talented wide receivers, but they were picking him apart, catching the ball in front of him. Well, they didn't get behind him. Yeah, you're right. You're right, they didn't get behind him. Um, but they still caught how many balls for how many yards and how many touchdowns. Five touchdown passes on that defense. Our defensive line. Our defensive line. Who? Aaron Donald gets double teamed and the whole team goes MIA. Is that really the solution in LA? There's a lot of players on that team that didn't play well last night. The defense is better than they played last night. We do have nice pieces. Jalen Ramsey is a good corner. Is he going to be worth the highest paid corner in the National Football League? Heck to the no. Is that what we're going to end up doing? Probably because Les Snead is an idiot. And you're not going to trade two number ones and let that guy walk out the door. You'd look like the biggest idiot in the history of trades. And no one in the NFL, excuse me, would take him seriously. And that would seriously damage the Rams ability to make trades in the future. If he didn't get fired over it. So, (coughs) as far as I'm concerned, you know he's going to get signed to a ridiculously long contract, which could put the Rams in some pretty bad situations. They're going to have to get creative with their mid-round picks, which they've been good at, and they're going to have to get creative with their mid-range free agent signings and guys that could come in depth-wise and cover up this roster where it's deficient. This Baltimore game was ugly, and I just want to say one last thing before I wrap up this podcast. I had a fan tell me that I was an idiot for thinking that the Ravens are going to win 41-10 to and that I was crazy. I'm not here to say, I told you so. What I want you to do in the future is really listen to what I say because I'm not just saying things out of frustration. I'm not just saying things because you know, I'm hating on the team. What I see is coming from a coaching perspective. It is not coming from a fan's perspective. And when you see deficiencies and you see an opponent's strengths, that's what I gauge the scores by. I don't think I've been too far off on a lot of these predictions so far this year. So maybe you're a relatively young listener. Maybe you're an older listener. If you're an older listener, then you should have known better because you've seen my track record, especially with the Rams. But if you're a younger listener, go back and watch my other shows on YouTube because you'll, you'll understand why I say the things that I say about the Rams one of the things you'll notice and let's not forget for those of you that have been following me I was the one that got excoriated for saying the Rams would go 4 and 12 in 2016 after the 3 and 1 start and I just I said it's how I feel it's smoke and mirrors this is what I'm seeing and I gave my input on why I said 4 and 12 and then I sat back and I let the season play out and guess what they went 4 and 12 so I just want you guys to be mindful of When I make a prediction, it's not on a whim. It's from a perspective of someone who's coached the game, someone who's played the game, as well as someone who's a fan of the game. Anyway, thank you for listening. I love doing these podcasts. We'll see how this turns out. Um, I'll post this on YouTube tonight. And Eric and I are also gonna be doing a show on YouTube as well, so stay tuned for that. Have a great night. As far as Marcus Peters goes, Um, For all of you Ram fans that were talking about Marcus Peters being trash and garbage and we need to get rid of him and he's the reason we're losing, I I hope you guys understand now why I liked Marcus Peters, why I'm a huge Marcus Peters fan, and why I'm so irritated now because I see what could have been is now somewhere else and thriving. The bottom line is Jalen Ramsey, in my opinion is not as good as Marcus Peters. Period. He doesn't make the plays that Marcus Peters makes on a routine basis. Now, if Marcus Peters isn't punching the ball out, he's intercepting the football. If he isn't intercepting the football, then he's putting himself in position where the quarterback has to make a really good throw to make the completion. Yes, he gets burned from time to time, but that's more of a communication issue on the back end, than it is on him. What did Marcus Peters have to work with? He didn't have Eric Weddle, and when he did have Eric Weddle, right, he still had the same issue. His, his first year with the Rams last year, he had a safety that didn't know what the hell he was doing in LaMarcus Joyner. He had a, he had a safety that was basically a rookie, he was in his second year as a, as a starter, still trying to learn, still drinking from a fire hose, communicating on the back end on what they were supposed to do on the defense while learning a brand new defensive system right? This year, he didn't get burned as, de- he didn't get burned deep as often, although he still got burned deep from time to time, and what did you have? You had old man Weddle, who's a statue in the middle of the field and can't move, who didn't have any way of communicating, and didn't do an effective job of communicating with his corners, because we still got guys getting beat deep. Even last night, you know, zero coverage, zero coverage, okay, tell, tell your corners to take an inside position. What did they have? Outside positions. I could make some of those throws, Right? Well, no, I can't because LaMarcus, um, not LaMarcus, but um, Action Jackson has one hell of an arm. But the bottom line is, it's a throw just about any quarterback in the NFL can make when you have inside, outside positioning on an inside route. So there, there's... You know, all of this, all the blame, for whatever reason, the Ramley loved to go after Marcus Peters as if it was 100% his fault. It wasn't the defensive scheme. It wasn't the guys on the back end communicating. It was all Marcus Peters. And you cheered as he went out the door while I cried a little bit inside. And what has he done since he's left L.A.? Two pick sixes and three interceptions. How many interceptions does Jalen Ramsey have as a Ram? Crickets. That's what I thought. It's extremely frustrating that we gave up Marcus Peters, who we could have gotten cheaper because he had the year he did last year, for a more expensive version of the same exact player. You know, Jalen Ramsey needs to spend less time jawing with Marcus Peters And more time in the film room so he can actually get himself some interceptions and make some plays. Because right now, the man isn't worth, you know, a first-round draft pick. One first-round draft pick, let alone two. He isn't even worth a third-round draft pick at this point. But that's our life. It is what it is. And as I said before, the Rams are going to have to pay Jalen Ramsey a ridiculous amount of money. Where with Marcus Peters, they could have gotten him on the cheap or cheaper because of his situations um on the field and even off the field that you were going to be able to get him on the cheap now he's going to get a big payout with baltimore he's probably going to be a pro bowl wide uh, pro bowl defensive back and he's going to be hoisting the vince lombardi trophy at the end of the year or at least in a year or two because he's got that kind of a team around him while we're going to be sitting there going what could have been so my ad- my attitude on marcus peters was and remains the same He's a great corner. He's one of the best corners in football because, yes, he takes chances and he gets burned because of it, but he also takes chances and gets picked sixes because of it. And you want a guy on an island that's going to put in his mind, forget the last play, I'm better than this guy, and I'm going to prove it on this play. And with Jalen Ramsey, you have a guy who's a mental midget. Things go wrong, and he starts to fall apart. So, and he shows up small in big games. Now, Marcus Peters showed up big in big games as we saw in the championship game, in the divisional playoff game, and the Super Bowl. So, we'll see. We'll see. But I I think Baltimore got the better end of that deal. I think Marcus Peters got the better end of that deal. I think the Rams got shafted. And for those of you that were celebrating Jalen Ramsey and cheering Marcus Peters, um, careful what you wish for because sometimes... What you want to have happen, happens. And it's been my experience that half the time that happens, you wish it never did. And this is a perfect example. He makes a great pick on a play that he had no business catching, but because he put himself in the right position, because he understood the Rams' routes, he adjusted and makes a great pick. And Jalen Ramsey is, we're still waiting. Does he even have a single interception with the Rams? I don't even know. He might have... excuse me, he might have one if he has any, but you guys will have to comment and let me know that. Anyway, that's my take on Marcus Peters, and now the show is officially over. So thank you for listening, and hope to hear from you guys soon, and keep an eye open for the YouTube show. I'll be posting it tonight.